Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Cabot. I want to share with you a, a Place to Gather update really quick here. So this week at Place to Gather, among other things, they've been working on pouring the concrete slab inside the building. 123 yards of concrete were poured in one day. Trucks came in, loading the cement into buckets, which moved them into place. It was quite a job. After the workers smoothed out the cement and had time to set up, the slab was polished. Uh, on the exterior of the building, we just started stonework on the new the knee, uh, placed in surrounding uh, just the first phase of the church. Now, I want to remind you that we're not only wanting to bless people with uh, a physical uh, place, even the church or the community center or the other things that we're doing. We want to bless people with our, our very presence. And uh, uh, earlier this summer, we had an actual series on bless. Uh, it's an acronym, bless, begin with prayer, L for listen, E for eat with one another, S for serve, and, and then another for share. And there is this idea that, uh, that we want to welcome people into our personal presence, into our space, uh, and we are hoping that uh, as people are welcomed into our, our building, our space, our hearts, that we will see uh, some come to Jesus. And others will just be blessed by, uh, by the way that we act towards them. Um, so if, if, you, uh, if you remember those words, bless, uh, that's, that's something we want to be doing in days to come here. Now, uh, let's uh, once again bow our heads, and uh, we're going to uh, pray. Um, Father God, help us to bless people. Help us to listen to them, to pray for them, to be faithful, and, and faithful in sharing the good news uh, when we have the opportunity. God, this world is in turmoil with fire, flood, war, disease, factions. You know the struggles of this spinning globe, our nation, our community, families. You know what struggles take place in our hearts. But we know that regardless of the difficulties we face, that the reality in you is greater than that in the world. Hope in you is better than hope in anything that could take place here. That you speak into our troubles. That you speak into the difficulties in our lives. Therefore, as Paul wrote long ago, we do not lose heart, even though outwardly we might be wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary affliction are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Father, give us that perspective, mind, heart, and hands of Christ, that our lives might be rooted in the reality that is you, and that we may have a hope that will never disappoint. We also pray that we'll be agents of restoration and messengers who do not fail to deliver the greatest message ever given, the good news about Jesus Christ. Now we pray that your spirit would work upon ours as we spend time in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, today we are continuing a series called Christ is Better in the book of Hebrews, and now we are entering sort of a, a, literally a new chapter where we're making a little turn into chapter 11, which is affectionately called the Hall of Faith. Anybody heard of the Hall of Faith before? 
Three of you? Come on. Okay, we got a few more. Good. All right. Chapter 11, Hall of Faith. Can anyone tell me what faith is? What's faith? This is interactive. Anybody want to shout it out? Yes. I heard it. Awesome. That is great. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. That's the definition that chapter 11 begins with. And then we have example after example after example after example of faithful men and women, faithful saints of the past, people who have acted faithfully amidst trying, difficult, thorny, complex circumstances. They've acted faithfully in just such a way. As I mentioned in the past, one of the wonderful things about Hebrews is how it helps us to understand the Old Testament. And Hebrews 11 uh, uses faithful Old Testament examples to help us to know how to live today. I believe the timing of this passage couldn't be better because we as a society and even as a people of God uh, struggle with fear, anxiety, depression. Uh, People are really struggling right now. According to the CDC, COVID was the third leading cause of death in the United States in 2020, trailing heart disease and cancer. According to the CDC, also in 2020, 40% of U.S. adults were struggling with mental health or substance abuse. 40%. Fear, anxiety, and depression are still rampant, and disproportionately so among those who are younger, those who are minorities, those who are caregivers or first responders. And these are the CDC's words, not mine. So what do we do with fear weakening their lives? Because the So this is the time to talk about faith and hope, and I believe that Hebrews 11 is an excellent place to talk about these two essential components of a life that will bring fulfillment and joy in difficult times. So in our passage today, Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, we have a definition of faith and three examples of God's faithful servant, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Now, anybody familiar with Abel and Enoch? Those aren't like two of the big names in Scripture, but we're going to get them, and then we get Noah, who most people have heard of today. And my desire is that we might be encouraged to live in faith, drawing near to God, faithfully following him regardless of our circumstances because God is faithful. So here we go. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for. You know what? Let's do this together. It's up on the screen there. If you say it, it'll kind of help you a little bit. Ready? One, two, three. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Okay, that's, that's our definition there. That's the NIV translation. But listen also to the King James and the Holman translation. Talk about messing up your memorization here. Um, King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the Holman translation, which you might not be familiar with, but I think it helpfully puts um, contemporary language to the King James, Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. What is it? 
How do we unpack this? What's the difference of wording? We could go into a more detailed answer, but I think what's helpful for us to understand and what the, the, uh, these versions are trying to help get at is that faithful men and women in the past did not consider our present circumstances to be the only reality or even the most important reality. For example, in the life of Abraham, which we'll tackle next Sunday, Hebrews 11.10 explains how Abraham was thinking about this reality, the confidence of what is hoped for, the reality, the substance. What is that? Well, Abraham, Hebrews 11.10 says, he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That was his reality. That was the reality of what he hoped for. That was his confidence. And it wasn't just his opinion. It wasn't relativism. It was reality, objective, actual reality. Sometimes people in our culture speak of blind faith or in the way they speak of hope is sort of like wishful thinking. I hope that'll happen. But that's not how Scripture uses these terms. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for, but the confidence is rooted in reality, not fantasy, and our assurance is based on evidence. We might say that faith is the conviction of the reality of things hoped for conviction of the reality of things hoped for, and proof of what is not seen, faith, true faith, is not a pipe dream, but it's rooted in the reality of the immutable God. It means God doesn't change. Faith in it, or and why? With the unchanged, our faith is based on true at their appointed time. I believe that this is why the first by faith statement is not about an example in scripture, but reality itself. Now, if you read through the book, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it will say, by faith, this happened, by faith, this happened, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. The first by faith statement is not about a person. All the rest are. But in Hebrews 11, verse 3, says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now this word rendered universe in the passage of scripture comes from the word eons, which I've already mentioned, but it is not restricted to the universe alone. It includes everything, space and time. Everything was created by God. God is greater even than time, and he made it. At a minimum, time and space were formed at God's command. The invisible word of God created all that is visible. This is the worldview of those saints who lived in the past and is also the worldview of faithful people today. God made everything. He sustains everything. And in the book of Hebrews, it explains that God made everything and sustained everything through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If we believe that God made everything, it changes everything. We have purpose and value. The world can never be outside of God's control, though it might rebel against him. And this truth is a real treasure. More valuable than silver, more precious than gold. We should keep this treasure close to our hearts. Some of you have memorized this passage in Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. And a few of you have come up to me and, uh, without me prompting, have just recited the, the passage to me. That's really cool. Thank you for doing that. Now imagine if someone said to you, 
um, I'm going to give you $5 million in gold. And I'm going to put it down here. And it's in gold bricks. Anybody know how much a gold brick weighs? It's like 27.4 pounds, something like that. 27.4 pounds, worth maybe $625,000. I'm sure it's probably different now, but right around that amount of money and, and that weight. Now, if they said, I'm going to give you $5 million, that's eight bricks of gold. And if you were to put those, if those eight bricks of gold were to be in a box, that would weigh 219 pounds. Anybody good with picking up a 219-pound box? Now, if that was laid down before you, would you figure a way to get it home? Anybody not going to take that box home? Okay, so you got a 219, and it's probably more than that because the box weighs something. So it's too heavy probably for you to pick it up, and you've got to figure out how, how to get it home. So will you take those bars out one by one because you can probably carry a 27-pound bar? Or will you get friends to help you lift that box and get it into your car and get it home? Somehow you're going to figure out how to do that. Now, the Word of God is more valuable than that box. And some people have told me, I, you know, I can't, I can't memorize Scripture very well. If Scripture is as valuable to you as that box of gold, you're going to figure it out. Maybe you'll take those bars out one by one. So you'll just try to learn a little bit at a time, not try to pick the whole thing up at once. Maybe you'll get friends to help you, help you learn this passage. But this section that we're talking about right now, Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, or Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, I, I, I'd go for the first three verses. It's more valuable. You want 5 million or 10 million. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's valuable. It's real treasure. And you should have it in your hearts. It's something that nobody can take away from you. That, that gold box could be taken away from you. Something could happen to it. But this real treasure is worth something in this life and in the life to come, and it cannot be taken away from you. Let me encourage you to eat this book, to understand what faith is. It is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. And by this, I, I, you know, I've read so many translations, I struggle a little bit with it, but, but with this, the eons were created. Time and space were created. That's, that's by faith we believe that. And it's bedrock for us. And it's valuable to know that and believe it because when difficult times come, you've got this in your arsenal. It will help you. All right, let's talk about some of these faithful people on the list here. So Abel. It's uh, Adam and Eve got kicked. They had a son, Abel. Cain, turns out, he was... Um, a farmer, uh, and Abel, looking for the actual text here, I get so excited I lose place my notes, but anyway, um, Cain worked the soil, Abel had flocks, and Abel um, and Cain both brought an offering to God. Now, Scripture tells us that Cain brought some of his produce, and Abel brought the first and the best of what he had, the fattest portion, to God. And God looked with 
favor upon Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, Cain uh, was spoken to by God after that because Cain was angry. Why did God not look favorably upon my offering? After all, I brought, I brought this to him. And God said, you know, told him that he needed to consider what was in his heart. Sin desires to have you, but you must master it. And instead, Cain killed his brother Abel. Now, Scripture tells us that Abel was a righteous man, but he was righteous through faith. And even though Cain killed him, his blood still speaks because of Abel's righteousness. So through sacrifice, Abel was declared righteous. Why? Because Abel was given gifts, gave gifts in faith, knowing God created all things, Therefore, it is no loss to give his first and his best back to God. Abel's gift revealed the state of his heart just as Cain's did his own heart. Abel stands as exemplar number one in the hall of faith, a man who is not afraid to give his first and his best to God. Let's go on to the next example, Enoch. One chapter later, Genesis 5. So Enoch, and, and, uh, and if, if anybody has read Genesis 5 recently, it also has a refrain. Whereas the book of Hebrews says, by faith, by faith, by faith, Genesis 5 says, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. Cheerful book, right? So everybody has this, you know, they did this, they did this, they did this, and then he died. Except for this guy named Enoch. And instead, in Genesis 5, 24, uh, of, and then he died, says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Anybody want to sign up for that? Just skip death, just be in God's presence? Sounds pretty good. So it says, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God faithfully 300 years and then was taken to heaven. He's one of the two recorded cases in Scripture where God took someone without them experiencing death. The other was the prophet Elijah. So what is exceptional about Enoch is that he walked faithfully with God. In contrast to others, Enoch had exceptional fellowship and faithfulness and living out his life in the presence of God. We don't get many details about Enoch's life, but we do know that he pleased God. And then we get in Hebrews 11:6 an explanation. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch pleased God, but without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those of all faith, God who created, the God who has redeemed. And secondly, those who want to please God in faith need to believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. The context in Hebrews means experiencing God's salvation and being welcomed into his presence that we, like Abraham, who will come up next week, would look forward to the city with foundations and architect whose builder is God. That we trust that what God has for us is the ultimate reality, worth everything. All right, we're on to Noah. So Noah... In Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. 
So whereas Abel gave his first and best to God, Enoch walked with God, Noah trusted God by preparing a big wooden box, an ark, by which he and his family would be saved. So this account uh, is recorded in Genesis uh, 6, chapter 6 through 9. In other words, Noah listened to God regarding judgment and salvation. Uh, By this, he was declared righteous in an unrighteous and condemned world. So why did Noah respond to God's warning? Was it because he feared the flood? That's not what it says here. It says that in holy fear, he built this ark. His reverent awe of God is what inspired him to do this. Noah's actions were not just pragmatic, They were God-inspired, and by this, he lived out the truth, my righteous one will live by faith. And by the way, uh, this example of Noah and the ark is used later in the New Testament as an example of adult baptism, going into the waters of death, the waters representing death, and coming out into new life. Noah trusted God for his salvation, not only that he might be saved from a flood, but that he might be saved to a city with foundation uh, whose architect is God. So in the beginning of the message, I asked this. I said, well, what do we um, do with the fear of death? And what do we do with fear, anxiety, and depression over life? We can medicate it, argue or complain. Some have taken their lives because they find life intolerable. But I believe this is the time to talk about faith and hope. And it might be that some of us are struggling with various things. Maybe we're part of that 40% that are struggling with anxiety or fear, substance abuse, or other things. And these are difficult times. There are, are different pressures upon us. And I want to suggest that we respond to that actively in some way. And you know, and some have told me that I've, you know, I don't have my phone with me, but maybe it needs to be put away, or the screen, or too much news, or whatever. We're being filled with a lot of things that provoke fear. We're hearing a lot of words from a lot of people that provoke anxiety. And what we need are words of life, instead of these words that provoke fear and death and anxiety. We need words that build up our faith. So let me encourage us. Maybe you've got too much screen time going on, or maybe you're listening to people who are yapping about this political situation or this thing, you know, all these different things that everybody's all wound up about right now. Maybe you need to move that away a little bit and move towards the Word of God, move towards others who are solid in their faith and who are speaking words of life. And you know when you're around them that you feel built up, you feel stronger, you feel better in your faith. Why not do that? Why not move away that which produces fear and anxiety and move towards that which produces life and faith and strengthens you and your inner being. Why not pick up that heavy box of gold 
scripture and memorize it. It's not too heavy for you. You can take it bit by bit. You can get friends to help you. But why don't we make a course correction right now so we're not part of the 40%? And brothers and sisters, we want to be careful and we want to be wise about our physical lives. But in the end, if we are in Christ, we know where we're going. The arc of greater reality here. Sometimes give us just a little time to kind of settle in here. I'm going to read this to you and ask you to close your eyes while I do. It's probably two minutes. And then um, we're going to celebrate with the Lord's Supper. But uh, please just go ahead and close your eyes and, and think about this. Close your eyes. Imagine whatever brings you the most comfort, the greatest security and passionate joy. Take a minute. What are you living for? What are your struggles? Where have you placed your hope? Whatever we love and long for here on earth points to something better. Comfort, security, and earthly joy are short-lived. We enjoy them for a time, and they're gone. But God has given us something greater, greater comfort, security, and joy in Christ. Jesus is a better messenger, and his message is better than any you've ever received, a message that comforts even when all other comfort is gone. He is better than any angel or heavenly power. The security Christ provides is greater than any protection we experience on earth or in heaven. God has made himself known through what he has made, how he has worked through history, through scripture. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, promising his people a land where they would find both joy and rest from their weary wandering. But Jesus offers a better promise and a better land where those who seek him will find rest for their souls and incomparable joy. That's us. Christ intercedes for us. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us and has given the most amazing promise for the brightest future. So why wouldn't we follow the faithful example of saints of the past? Why wouldn't we place our hope in Jesus and endure the struggles of this world with hope? Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. So whatever we've been living for, whatever our struggles, wherever we placed our hope, whatever we love and long for here on earth points to something better in Christ. And God is calling us to live in the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see, to have a faith in a world that is shaking, hope amidst instability. Brothers and sisters, the strength of our conviction rests on the faithfulness of God's promises and the reality of his presence, which will never fail. Father, thank you for your word, your promises, which will come true in their proper time. And let us treasure who you are, what you've done, what you've written more than anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.